You're listening to a sermon from Ketchikan Church of the Nazarene. For more sermons or information about our church, please visit ktnnaz.org or like Ketchikan Naz on Facebook. Uh, this morning, though, we are going to be looking at time. We're going to be looking at the stewardship of time. Um, over the next couple weeks, we're going to be doing a series on stewardship. You can see what we're going to be looking at here. No surprises. I want you to know it's coming. We're going to talk about time today, talent next week, treasure the next week, and truth the last week. We're going to talk about how do we steward these things that God has given to us. And so uh, we're going to start off with time. Um, But before we begin, we need to be on the same page, right? Before we talk about something like stewardship, we need to cover some basics. So the first things first, um, is anyone familiar with the Westminster Catechism? Anybody? few nods, a few have no ideas. Okay, good. We're going to bring all onto the same page here. The catechism here says this, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. This is what the, the main purpose of man is. Man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Now, this isn't just some smart dude from ye old ages of old who wrote down some great words that happen to be true. There's biblical basis for this. So I just want to show you briefly why it is biblically right that mankind should glorify God and enjoy him forever. We'll start in first... Oh, wow. Hey, here we go. Let there be light. Um, We will start in 1 Corinthians, and I'm just going to go over these verses very briefly with you. 1 Corinthians 6, 20, and it says this, You were bought with a price, so glorify God with your body. That's pretty straightforward, right? Jesus Christ paid the price for your sin, therefore you glorify him with your body. And then we've got 1 Corinthians 10, 31, which states this, So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. It doesn't matter what you do in life. You can be a trash collector. You can be a stay-at-home mom. You can be a CEO of a Fortune 500 company. Whatever you do, you do it for the glory of God. And then in Revelation 4.11, it says this, 4.11, right? 4.11. I marked my page wrong. Oh, here we go. Okay. Worthy are you, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. So we have a creator God who bought us with a price, and so then we glorify him and honor him with all the things that we do. Whatever we do, we bring him glory. And then we must enjoy him, right? This is the great part of things. We glorify him with our actions, but it's not just enough that he has these mindless slaves because we are not that. We have free will. But we get to enjoy God. We get to love God. We get to enjoy his presence. And scripture says this in Philippians 4.4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. And where scripture says things twice, it means pay attention, right? Like when your parents told you, clean your room, clean your room, like they're trying to emphasize the point that you should pay attention to this. So rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice, right? Okay, so we're supposed to rejoice in the Lord and enjoy him. And in Psalm 144, verse 15, it says this, Blessed are all the people to whom such blessings fall. Blessed are the people whose God is the Lord. You're you're blessed because God is God and you are his children. You get to enjoy the blessings which he gives you, life and life eternal, 
family and friends and the fellowship of the Spirit, the things that come your way from God are blessings. We enjoy Him and the blessings that He gives. Lastly, but not leastly, is Revelation 21, 3 through 4. And it says this. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God, and he will wipe away every tear from their eye, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain anymore, for these things have passed away. And what we have here is a picture of God who created us, who loves us, who gives us good works, and we are to glorify him with everything that we are and everything that we say and everything that we do, and he gives us good blessings and we enjoy his presence. Even if he gave us no blessings, here's the scriptural truth today, even if he poured out no blessings upon us, simply having salvation in Christ is enough to rejoice in him forever. But beyond that, he gives us blessings, and we enjoy his presence and the presence of his community. And therefore, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And we think that's great. We could stop the sermon right here. Amen, be dismissed, have an early lunch, get a nap. That would be a great blessing, but it's not going to work out that way today because we need to talk about stewardship of time. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever, and that relates directly to stewardship. If God is a creator God and has created all things and then entrusted mankind with those things, then we must use good stewardship in those things. One of the things he has entrusted us is time. But what is stewardship? You look it up in the dictionary. You know, here's the basic sermon illustration. Flip to um, Webster's. You get a definition something like this. Someone entrusts you with something and you take care of it and you return it to them, right? So... I entrust you with my puppy dog, right? You take care of my puppy dog. It's my sweet little puppy dog. You feed him, you water him, you take him out, you clean up after his messes. You give me back my puppy dog, and my puppy dog is happy and well-fed. Poor stewardship would be something like this. I give you my puppy dog, you put him in the closet, and you don't feed him, and you don't give him water, and you don't take him out for exercise. And when you give me my puppy dog back, he's a thinner, sadder version of my puppy dog. That's poor stewardship. It's a really bad example, but it helps you see good stewardship versus bad stewardship at a base level. But in the Christian worldview, we have to realize that everything in the world is the Lord's, and uh, we are citizens of heaven, not of earth. So as citizens of heaven and not of earth, we have been entrusted with God's creation and held to a higher standard of stewardship. We've been given time, abilities, family, friends, environment, Money, God's truth, many more things than that. That's just a a short list. But one day, you and I will stand before the throne of God, and he will say, how did you do? I gave you things to steward. How did you do with your time? How did you do with your money? How did you do with your family? How did you do with your friendships? How did you do with your neighbors? Did you ever speak to them? He's going to ask us to be accountable in some strong way to the things that he entrusted us because Christ had one purpose in life. Scripture says he came to seek and save the lost. And when he returned to heaven, he left the Great Commission, which was to seek the lost, to make disciples, to baptize until the whole earth believes. He left that as a life purpose for believers. And then he gave us the Holy Spirit and enables us to do these things. And from that, we have to realize that everything we say and everything we do, every relationship we have, every material belonging in our possession is either in submission 
to Christ or in submission to you. And there's a difference. Stewardship, biblically, is the biblical stewardship is the correct mindset for earthly resources. Here's a definition of stewardship that's biblical. Intentionally leveraging earthly resources for kingdom gain. That's biblical stewardship of time, of money, of resources, of friendships, of anything and everything that comes through your hand in your life. You intentionally leverage it for kingdom gain. How do you intentionally leverage your dollars and cents for kingdom gain? How do you intentionally leverage your relationships for kingdom gain? How do you intentionally leverage time? It's intangible. How do you leverage something that's intangible? You can put money in a bank account and earn interest. You can give money to give Bibles to people who don't have Bibles. That's intentionally leveraging dollars and cents. How do you intentionally leverage something that's intangible? Time. You can't store it up. It's fleeting. It passes away rapidly, sometimes faster than we would hope in certain situations, slower than we would like in others, depending on the day and what we're doing. But time is this intangible that we are called to be accountable for. We are entrusted with time, and we must leverage it, because it's an earthly resource, for kingdom gain. Meaning, how do we, in our daily life, leverage the hours and the minutes and the seconds that we have so that it produces more fruit for the kingdom in our own life and in the life of those around us. I want to read a psalm to you, and then we're going to kind of look at the pros and cons of how this stewardship of time might work out. Psalm 90, if you're following along, I'm going to read it It's in, in its entirety this morning, and then break it down into some chunks that we can digest. Psalm 90, from everlasting to everlasting, Lord... You have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are but yesterday when it's past, or but a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood, for they're like a dream, Like grass that is renewed in the morning, it's renewed and it flourishes and it's renewed. But in the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger and by your wrath, we are dismayed. You've set our iniquities before you. Our secret sins are in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We we bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, maybe by reason of strength 80, Yet their span is toil and trouble, and they are soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So, Lord, teach us to number our days that we might get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord. How long will it be before you return? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we might rejoice and be glad all of our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have given us, for as many years as we have seen evil, make us glad. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Now, here's a mighty long psalm, not long compared to some of the others, but this is a chunky psalm and it talks about the stewardship of time. But it sets things in, um, in perspective for us. Verses 1 through 4 talk about God, that God is a holy creator. If you look at 
um, this. And if you've ever read the book of Job, you kind of know where this psalm is like. Well, where were you when I made the mountains? Where were you when I brought forth the seas? Where were you when out of nothing, mountains, earth, planets, day and night, where were you, oh man? It's God putting you in your place lovingly, saying, listen, you're created. I'm creator. There's a hierarchy here. There's a standard by which I'm going to hold you to. I have the right to do that because I am your creator. It also says this in that scripture, that he's our shelter and our refuge. From everlasting to everlasting, he's our God. From the beginning of whenever beginning happened to now and to the end of time, God is God and he's our refuge in times of trouble. He's our hope and he's our steadfast rock. Scripture talks about these things. These are things that we need to remember, that God is eternal from everlasting to everlasting, right? He was before time. He will be after time. He exists while time exists. But he is also outside time. This is something that we need to remember. We live in time, right? We live time by our clocks and by our cell phone clocks and by the clock there that tells me when I need to be done with the sermon. We live by time, but God lives outside of time. He's not limited by time. He's timeless. He created time. He stepped into time as Jesus when he stepped into an earthly body. He came and he lived and he was subject to time. But God is outside of time. He doesn't grow old. He doesn't get tired. He doesn't die. God is from everlasting to everlasting. And there's a joke that describes this well. A man was lying on the grass one night and he was marveling at the beauty above him in the sky. And he was talking with God and in his amazement he started asking questions. And one of the questions he asked was like, God, what's a million years like to you? God said, oh, just like a second to me. The man was like, oh, my goodness, that's stunning. What's a million dollars like to you? God said, oh, it's just a penny, just like a penny to me. The man stopped and thought, watched some clouds go by, and he said, God, can I have a penny? And God said, in a minute. Our perspective is not God's perspective. Our time is not God's time. The things that we want are not necessarily the things that God wants for us. God has an idea of stewardship, and it's bigger than our idea. And we need to learn how God stewards and how he would have us steward. Then we get to this section, right? Verses 5 through 11. These are kind of depressing verses if you read them. I don't know if you caught into some of these things. This deals with our sinfulness. This deals with the wrath of God upon mankind for our sin. This deals with... um, You know, um, we get swept away like a flood. We fade in the evening. We're brought to end by God's wrath. These are not great verses to read. Um, These are things that are not necessarily encouraging to our soul. You don't want to come on a Sunday morning and hear, God will sweep you away with his anger. You will be brought to an end. Um, But thankfully, that's not the good news. The good news is that God has mercy on us through Jesus Christ. That our iniquities are before God. We're a sinful people. We do things of the flesh that we shouldn't do. We bite at one another's heels and we argue and we hurt one another and we do things in the flesh. And that's how we spend our time. When we're on earth and we're in the flesh and we're living according to our own will, we're stewarding time as we would steward time, which is, you know, getting back at someone for causing us pain or doing these things that we do. That's how we steward our time in the ways that we would want to. And that's not necessarily the best way to steward our time. And God is saying, listen, 
I know your heart, you're sinful, you struggle, but I've got this idea for you that's bigger than you know, and it's called salvation. I've got this idea for you, and it involves Jesus, who will step down into time and be a good steward of the time that he has to minister to all of the people that he possibly can so that you can have eternal life forever through Christ on the cross. The ultimate truth is this. Um, Our lifespan is set. Whether it's 70 or 80 years or 120 years, however old you live is however old God lets you live. You only have so many days in your life, only so many hours and minutes and seconds, and you don't honestly know the extent of those days and hours and minutes. They, like Scripture says, are fading, like um, the grass, fresh in the morning, fades in the evening. And we need to really wrestle with that. We need to wrestle with our mortality because the truth is we will pass away one day and we will stand before God and he will say, I gave you time. It might have been five years. It might have been 120 years. How did you steward your time for the kingdom gain? And that's what he's going to ask us one day. And that's something that we need to wrestle with. So having known that God is holy, we are not. He bought us with a price, and we are to glorify him with our body. That means using our time well, the limited time to serve God. We need to leverage it. We need to leverage every second for God. This section of the psalm is um, a prayer for God's help in stewarding time. So he puts you in charge of how you spend your days. He didn't give you a to-do list. He just said, listen. I love you, I bought you, now love others as I have loved you. Steward your time accordingly. The psalmist ends this psalm with the phrase repeating, establish the work of our hands. Establish the work of our hands. And it echoes when you hear the end of the psalm, establish the work of our hands, establish the work of our hands, because in all of this, that God is holy and we are not, and he bought us with a price, And we will fade one day, but until that day, we need to learn how to number our days. We need to learn how to number our minutes and our seconds and our time so that the work of our hands might be established as kingdom gain. We don't get to take anything with us to heaven, but we do get to leave fruit behind that flourishes and produces more fruit. And that's what we should be doing with our time. But there are things that get in the way of good stewardship of time. And... We fall tyranny to them all the time. It's um, the tyranny of the urgent, or I got lazy, or I just don't want to, or this doesn't feel good to me right now, so I'm not going to. And we let other people determine our schedules, and we let other events determine our schedules. And if we don't say, I want to be a steward of the time that God has given me, and put God and his priorities first, and the other things second, good as they may be, they should be second, then the world will determine your time spent. Not God's word determining your time spent. And at the end of your life, you will have two different outcomes. Following God will have produced fruit in your life. And you may not be the richest person. You may not have the nicest car. You may not have all of the things that the world says you should have. But you have a fruitful and productive life with Christ. And God will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Or you can live life according to the world as it sets your schedule for you. And then you get to heaven and you might have had little pockets here and there where you've been fruitful But if you let the world determine your schedule and the world determine how your time is spent, then when you get to heaven, God is going to say, you're like the guy that I gave a talent to and he went and buried it 
It's that sad little puppy that was hungry when you gave it back. And that's not good and faithful. And we don't want to be like that. We want to be good and faithful servants. And so we need to identify the things that get in the way of good time stewardship. We need to identify the things that get in the way of leveraging every second that we have for kingdom gain. And there's a lot of things that do it, but at its base level, it's idolatry. Um, scripture just calls things like they are, and so I'll just call things like they are, because I'm just telling you what the Bible says. And the Bible says that anything you put over and above God is an idol. So even things that are intangible are idols. It's really easy to say money is a, an idol because we can see it, we can touch it, we can barter it. We do the same thing with time, right? We can't see it necessarily unless you look at your watch, but even then you're looking at a representation of it. You can't touch time because it just, it's gone. But we, um, we barter with it all the time. If you just give me 10 minutes of your time here, I'll give you a half an hour of mine later. I'd gladly pay you today for a hamburger I'll eat tomorrow, whatever that old saying is from that cartoon, okay? Got that wrong, but I've only seen it a few times. You know what I'm getting at, okay? <laughs> Thank you for your grace. Um, Martin Luther talks about idols. He's one of my favorite old dead guys in the church. And um, it, he said this about idols. Therefore, I repeat that the chief explanation of this point is that to have a God is to have something that in which the heart entirely trusts. Thus, it is with all idolatry, for it consists not merely in erecting an image and worshiping it, but rather the idolatry in the heart. So ask and examine your heart diligently, and you will find whether it cleaves to God and God alone or not. If you have a heart that can expect of him nothing but that which is good, especially in want and distress, and that moreover renounces and forsakes everything that is not God, then you have the only one and true God in your heart. If, on the contrary, it cleaves to anything else of which it expects more good and more help than God in any circumstance, and does not take refuge in God, but in adversity flees from him, then you have an idol, not God. And those are strong words from an old dead guy who wrestled with this a lot. If there is anything in your heart or your life that you cleave to at any given point more than you cleave to God, you have an idol. And in our American culture, we cleave to a few things more than we cleave to God. Time, our own talents and abilities, the treasure that we accumulate. These things we hold dear and we put them above God oftentimes. Maybe not consistently, but very much so in our lives. How do we idolize our time? Um, ego. Ego is a way that we idolize our time. Um, I'm more important than someone else. They don't deserve my time. I've got more important things to do than someone else should um, take away from that time. I've got an important activity. I've got important meetings. Um, I overload my schedule because I'm so important. Therefore, I don't leave room for God. I don't leave room for family. I don't leave room for church. I don't leave room for service. I don't leave room. I'm just tired because I'm so important that I have to keep doing things. Well, then there's laziness. takes another form. You waste your time. If money were time, it's like you take $1,000 bills and torch them because you are lazy with your time. You burn it instead of invest it. Comfort takes precedence over service. 
I'd rather not have that conversation with someone. I'd rather not go there and minister. I'd rather stay home on Sunday morning. I'd rather not join a small group because it's just another evening out. I'm tired, after all, because I'm busy all day long, because I'm important, and I don't have time for these things. Greed. We do this, too. We do this with our time. I'm greedy for my time, right? I mean, you work 40-plus hours a week. How many hours of that do you sleep? You get maybe, what, six, seven hours on average um, a night. Do the math, and you take how many hours there are in a week, minus the 40 to 70 that you work, minus the hours that you sleep, minus the hours that you're driving, minus those things that you um, really just have to do because of the tyranny of the urgent. How much time do you have left to pray? How much time do you have left to read scriptures? How much time do you have left to really dive into relationship with someone in the church? How much time do you have left to really dive into relationship with someone who needs Jesus? If you're greedy with your time because you've managed your time schedule poorly and you haven't left yourself margin, when you do get a free time, all you want to do is just and do nothing because it's your time. Everyone else has the time and this is my time. Don't take my time away from me. And we do that in our lives and it's greedy. But then we can go the exact opposite and we can be people pleasers in which we give our time away so freely that we don't do anything beneficial with it. I'm a, I'm a people pleaser at heart. This is something that God is working on me with. I learn and am learning over and over and over again to say no. N-O. I want you to say that with me. No. This is a very important word. Toddlers understand this well. But this is a word that we need to wrap into our Christian vocabulary. It is okay to say no to things in your schedule. It is okay to say, no, I don't have time for that. No, I can't meet with you right now, but I can meet with you later. No, I can't take this phone call now, but I will call you back when I've got a moment. No, I'm not going to fill up every night of my week with things that aren't kingdom profitable. I will leave room for things that are kingdom profitable intentionally. Um, If we don't plan our schedules and decide what we should and should not say yes and no to, then others will decide for us. And then we are no longer stewards of our own time. We are being stewarded by those around us and not to God's priorities. Biblical priorities and God's will for us individually must determine our activities rather than the wants and needs of society around us. Sometimes you have to say no to good things so that you can say yes to great things. You hear what I'm saying here? Sometimes it's important to say no to many small good things, so that when you are saying yes to something, you are fully, physically, emotionally, relationally present in those moments. Because if you say yes to everything all day long, you're burnt out. And then when you get home and your kid has a problem that you need to talk over with them or your spouse is struggling with something or your next door neighbor just had um, a death in the family and you need in the moment to minister and you are so tired from saying yes to things all day long, You've lost an opportunity to leverage an earthly resource for kingdom gain. You need to say no to some things so that you can say yes to very important things. So we know that there's idols that get in the way. We lift these things above. We put them in the place of God. But how do we focus our time? Because work is necessary, right? I'm not telling you go quit your job 
And I'm not telling you skip your extracurricular activities. I'm telling you evaluate those things in the light of kingdom fruitfulness. There are some basic principles that we can take away from this. There are priorities that scripture lays out for time management, and it's going to look different as it applies to each family. But the biblical priorities don't change. The methods in which you employ them might change, right? And they might change in seasons of life. When you have toddlers, the priorities in the way that your life looks is going to look different than when you have high schoolers who have their own car and they go and they do, right? So we need to look at the biblical priorities and then you figure out with God how this works in your life. First and foremost, uh, yeah, okay, set aside your idols. You need to spend time with God. Don't think about your neighbor right now. Don't think about the person sitting in front of you or behind you. Don't think about your spouse. Don't think about your children. In this moment, you need to realize that the very most important thing you can do in time stewardship is setting aside time with God and you. If you don't do that, everything else you can just ignore for the rest of the day here because you need to have a relationship with God. You need to steward your time in such a way that time with him daily is of utmost priority. I'm not about to tell you get up early and do a Bible study because I don't get up early and do a Bible study. I'm not an early morning riser. It is very difficult for me to get up early and do Bible study. It just doesn't. I read the same verse over and over again, which is good, but it doesn't stick, which is bad, because I'm tired. If you're a morning person, get up early. Carve that time out. If you're a nighttime person, do it at night. If you like your lunch break with Jesus, take your lunch break with Jesus. I don't think that he cares when. I think he cares that. That you spend time with him is very important. That you build that foundation is very important. That you make that as your utmost priority in time management. Forget everything else on the schedule. Where are you going to put time with God daily? That's the most important thing you can do. After that, then you need time with family. Time with family. You should be leading your family, encouraging your family in these kinds of things. Spending time with God and together as a family, spending time with God. I love devotion time with my child at night. She knows the stories well enough that I can't skip any parts now because she calls me on it. So if I'm tired and greedy about my own time, she tells me when I skipped a page. Um, and then there's, um, I have to read her another story as um, making up for that. So <clears throat> she loves time with God. I love teaching her that spending time in God's word is really good. I love to see that she knows the story sometimes better than I do. And that's encouraging to my heart. Time with God first. Time with family and God second. Um, one of the things that I always talk about when I talk about time with family is corn kernels. I don't really have a good place to set these um, other than just show them to you. Um, this is a little container of corn kernels. Um, it has the number one on it. When your child is one year old, you have this many corn kernels. Each one represents a weekend left with your child before they graduate. 884 corn kernels. 884 weekends to influence your child for Christ before they graduate. That's not so bad. That's a lot. That's full. That feels good, right? 884. Six years of age. You're down to 624. That's still pretty good, right? That's still pretty good. 624 weekends that you can influence your child for Christ. At that age, they're still under your control, too. You control where they go and what they do. Age 12, 
getting a little less in there, right? 312 weekends. 312 weekends that you can influence your child for Christ, knowing that at the age of 12, they start to have their own social life. They start to go out on weekends. They start to stay out in the afternoons after school. You see them less and less at home starting at this age. You have less and less time with them at this age. And then you get to age 17, 52. 52 corn kernels, 52 weekends of which you can influence your child for Christ. And if you haven't started here, these aren't going to be fruitful. This is really important. This is really important. This is, these are really important. And I keep these in my office because I have a small child. And when I first filled those, my child was right about one and a half. One, maybe, somewhere in there. It was, I got, oh, I have a lot of corn kernels left. Well, she's getting older. And I look at the corn kernels on my bookshelf in the office, and I go, I'm running out of corn kernels. And I might have 700 corn kernels left or something like that. But that's less corn kernels than I had the day she was born. And I want all of those corn kernels to be fruitful. I want them to, pardon the analogy, pop. You know, I want, I want, um, I want fruit to be displayed. I want, um, I want my child to be poured into. But a lot of good it does if I'm not pouring into my own relationship with God. If I'm not carving out that time with God on my own, I'm not really teaching my child anything. We lead by example, right? So after you spend time with yourself and you spend time with your family... Then you do this, time with the unchurched and time with churched. And I wrestled with this one. I really wrestled with this one because I want to say you do time with church next because I'm your pastor, right? And I want to see you here. And I want to see you at small group. And, and I want you to come to church and participate in church life. But when it comes down to it, my gut just says, as I read the scriptures, Christ came to seek and save the lost. And so after you spend time with God and you spend time with your family, then you and your family... You go find lost people, and you minister to them. And then you come to the church, and you rejoice, and you worship, and you fellowship, and you are filled with the word, and you go out and you do it again. This is not game day. Game day is the rest of the week. So consequently, I put unchurched as the third priority and church as the fourth priority. I want you here. You need to be here. It's biblical to be in church. It's right and good. Don't hear me telling you you have an excuse not to be in church or participate in small group life or get out of Bible study. What I'm telling you is, it's a really important priority. But, if we just come here and look at one another every day and are not out there, leveraging every moment that we have to share the gospel with someone, we're just going to stare at each other's faces till kingdom come, till Jesus comes back, and then he's going to go, where are the rest of the people that I entrusted to you? Where are the 14,000 people I am entrusting to you in this city? We need to leverage every second we have and use it very wisely. And this is how it will play out. Time with God, time with family, time with the unchurched, and then time with the church. How that works in your schedule, I don't know. Your schedule's different than my schedule. But you need to wrestle with these things because we only have so much time. We only have so much time in life. And it's important that we leverage it. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. He said to his disciples, now you go, make disciples, baptize them. The only way to do that is if we leverage our time. And we say there are some things that are good, but they're not important. There are some things that are fun, but they're not fruitful. 
There are some things that I enjoy, but there are other things that I would enjoy less that would make someone else's life a lot better. These are the things we need to wrestle with when we talk about time stewardship. This isn't something that we can just go, oh, yeah, that's really easy. I'll just steward my time better tomorrow. This is discipline. This is work. This is effort. This is constantly going back to your schedule and constantly saying, how can I leverage every moment that I have? How can I find time for God? How can I make time for my family as a priority? How can I find time to be with the lost? And then you come to church. What I'm not saying is this. I'm not saying that I want you to fill your schedule up so full that you're burnt out. And I'm not saying that the church needs to heap on more ministries upon you and more times that you should be here, when in reality, each person, each family has a, heard this at district, it was a great example, has a box of time that they have. They've got stuff filled. They've got a box of work. It takes a chunk out of their time. They've got a box of commute or a box of, and these fill up the hours of sleep and the day. And of all the remaining time that you have left in your week, you set aside some of it for church. And every family has a different number of hours that go in that box. And what I don't ever want the church to do is say, listen, you need to be here eight hours or you're not a good Christian. You need to be here 12 hours serving down to the bone or you're not a good Christian. That's not what Jesus says. That's not what the Bible says. You need to steward your time appropriately. You need to be available to be in fellowship with one another. You need to be available to be in fellowship with the lost. What the church doesn't want to do is make it so difficult for you to be with the lost because you have to be here. Does that make sense? We want you to be at church on Sunday. We want you to be part of a small group, whether it's a discipleship, home group, Bible study. But beyond that, go into the world and leverage your time. Go into the world and leverage your time for the lost. Hang out with the people that need Jesus. Come here on Sunday morning. Go to a small group. Other than that, get out there and leverage your time. And that's my ending of the sermon. That's all I've got for you. Leverage your time for Jesus. And that's what we have for you today. So why don't we go ahead and close in prayer, asking for wisdom on how we might do that in our lives. And, and then we'll sing in worship. Father, you know firsthand because you made me. Um, that this is one of those things that I'm preaching to myself. Um, you know that uh, I have to set oodles of calendar reminders to remind me to do things. Time is something that seems to slip out of my hands faster than I know what to do with. Things fall off my cracker that shouldn't. And yet, Lord, you've called me to be a good steward of this thing that seems to be difficult for me to steward. I need your wisdom, God, to be a good steward. I need to figure out how I can be more intentional in my time with you how I can not just check it off like something I do, but something I live and breathe and need. Lord, I pray that you're speaking to the hearts of the people here today, that you would help them carve out the time for you and for family and for the lost people in their lives. And Lord, for the church as well, that we would grow fellowship with one another. And Lord, as we're spending time with the lost and leveraging our time with them, Lord, they might come to join the fellowship as well and then leverage their time for those they know. Lord, I guess what I'm praying this morning is for a chain reaction. I guess I'm praying that we would all catch this idea of stewardship, that everything that you've given us is something that we can leverage for your kingdom's gain. And I pray that we would do that, and in doing so, it would set off this chain reaction that is we steward things according to how you would have us steward them, that we become a beacon and a light in this community, not because of what we're doing, but because of what you're doing through us. And that as people see you working in our lives and the grace that you give us, 
and that we are free to give, that they would come and know that grace as well. And Lord, that this would continue and continue and continue because, Lord, there's 14,000 people on this island that need you. And the only way they're going to hear is if someone takes the gospel to them. And the only way someone is going to take the gospel to them is if someone leverages their time to do so. Lord, I pray that you give us the wisdom to figure out how to do that in our own lives and as a church as well. We pray this in your name. Amen. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time that has been given to you. And so knowing this, that Christ has given you time, and he wants you to be wise with it, go and be wise with it. Amen? Amen. Go and be wise with your time this week. Leverage it for the kingdom. Go in peace.